and welcome to the Christian Formation Podcast. I'm Raven, and I'm here with Andrew, one of our pastors at Providence Church. The goal of this podcast is to form disciples to live all of life with the presence of God. And we do this through conversations about theology, culture, and stories. Today, we're discussing the book of Jude. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Christian Formation Podcast. Andrew, what was the best fad you ever participated in? Wow, that's a good question. I don't know. Maybe you didn't do fads other than. Well, I'm sure I did, but there. Sometimes I think you don't probably recognize that it's a fad, right? Because you're just in it. Uh, I mean, maybe the Stanley one. I guess that's been the most recent. Although I haven't been like a an evangelist for Stanley, but I participate in it. That's true. Um, What's some other fads? Okay, well, growing up for people, it was the silly bands. You know, they're shaped as like, you don't know what I'm talking about? I don't about? know what that is. Oh my word. So I guess, I guess this is my generation. I don't know. Not that you're that much older than me. Yeah, but I'm so much older. <laughs> I'm like two generations ahead of you. No, but there are these little bands that you would wear on your wrist and they were shaped like animals and they were called silly bands and people wore those. I never really got on that train. I did the like feather in my hair. So you put a feather and you clip mm-hmm. a bead in your hair and it's permanent or semi-permanent. What do you mean it's permanent? You just clip something on. No, no, no. Can you just take it right off? They use like a wrench thing. So then they have to use another type of wrench thing to like unhook it from your hair. Yeah, it's like in there. Wow, I didn't know about that. I I have no idea what you're talking about with the silly bands. Or the feather in. No, I've seen that before. I mean, I obviously didn't do it. I guess I shouldn't say obviously. (laughs) I didn't do it. Uh, but I didn't, I don't know anything about the silly bands. Yeah. Funny. Okay. I wonder how many of our listeners. Are there any more recent fads? I mean, cause that was like when you're young, right? Or is that recent? Yeah, that was young, okay. not recent. Um, I feel like right now younger people are doing the slit in their eyebrow. That's like a thing. Honestly, the mustache thing is kind of a fad because of Maverick. Don't you yeah. think? Yeah, I think, but that kind of, I mean, I suppose everyone does with hairstyles or like with guys with like facial hair. I feel like every handful of years, things like come and go. Right. But I suppose I do that like with facial hair, you know, a handful of years ago, I feel like most Christian men that could grow a beard did grow a beard. And I was a part of that and I have been, but I wonder if I'll just keep, I mean, I don't know if that's gone out. I guess I don't know with facial hair or (laughs) hairstyles. What do you mean? Like you'll think you'll just keep doing it even if the styles change. I mean, I probably will change. Yeah. Don't you? You just change to the next thing. I feel like we're everyone does. Sheep, just I following know, we're the just world, blindlessly following. That's well, very discouraging. I know. Unfortunately, that might be true for some, but in the book of Jude, it teaches us how not to be sheep that blindly follow the wrong teachers. Do you think that I will shave my mustache after talking about Jude because I'm following the world and doing it right now? No, I think you like it too much. Well, let's see. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Today, we're discussing Jude, and very similarly to the other books we've looked at, Jude talks about false teachers and guarding ourselves against being swayed by these false teachers. Okay, I know we need to get into some of the context and what he's talking about, but I do wonder, I was telling you a little bit ago, I don't think I've realized in, you know, we're kind of teaching through overviews of these books week after week. And I don't think I've ever done that exactly before. So I've never realized how many of the books hit on false teachers. Yeah. I mean, the last episode, second, third, John was all about it. Even in first John, it wasn't necessarily about false teachers, but he's refuting 
a false teaching and he's trying, and that's what Galatians is about. That second Peter is all about false teachers. So I don't think I've noticed that as much anymore, but that's made me wonder why is it maybe that we don't see that if so many of these letters are either talking about false teaching that needs to be corrected or specifically false teachers that we need to guard ourselves from, I guess in my circles, I don't hear that a lot, but if that's a lot of what the new Testament letters are about, why does it feel like maybe we don't? Well, is that true that we don't talk about it as much? And if so, why does it feel that way? No, I'm, yeah, I agree with you. I feel like a lot of the sermons that I hear aren't focused on false teachers and guarding ourselves from them, but they're more so focused on how we are growing in our faith, how we are falling short, or how we could potentially lead double lives. So I don't know if that's just our culture to focus more inward rather than outward, but I don't hear it preached very often. Yeah, I guess I'm thinking about like on Christian Twitter or something. I feel like people are, well, some people that are loud and angry are quick to call people on false teaching or being heretics or whatever. But I think the normal like real life, not like Twitter. It, it, I just feel like I don't hear that stuff very much and I don't totally know why that is, but it is interesting that once again, we come to another book, especially a little book like Jude. And so much of it is about false teachers, a little bit of what they're teaching, but mostly about their lifestyle and how we spot false teachers and the danger of them. And so it's just been interesting to me to see how over and over and over again in the new Testament, that is a common critique, which even I guess when we did the Gospels, I mean, Jesus is confronting the Pharisees, which were teaching the people of God and their both their lifestyle and their teaching, he confronts and he rebukes. And so it just feels like it's kind of a constant throughout the New Testament. And I guess in my own life and ministry, it doesn't feel like it plays a prominent role to spot that, to teach people, to guard themselves against it, all the stuff that the letters are doing. It just doesn't feel like that's a big part of my life. Do you feel like we do it a little bit differently? Like we're warning people against who they're listening to on social media or what they're letting shape them. We're not saying false teachers, but we're talking about other influences shaping them. So maybe we just err to a different side or would you say, no, that's not even close to warning people against false teachers. Yeah, and I think some of this is probably just who we are listening to. I feel like in the last season, people that I've listened to, either Bible teachers, podcasts, books that I've read, they just haven't really done it, I guess, in short. And so maybe that's part of what's coloring how I'm viewing, Mm. quote unquote, us in the Christian world. It's just by the people that I'm listening to. But I also think, to your question, I think we do talk a little bit about guarding yourself from being influenced by the world and like outward, you know, culture, what the world is pushing you towards and guarding yourself against that. But what is often happening in these New Testament letters is it's people claiming to be Christians or godly teachers that are persuading them wrongly or living double lives or these sinful lives. And so I think that specifically, I at least don't talk about much, partially because it feels maybe judgmental or um, uncomfortable to like, I mean, Paul even 
specifically at times calls people out by name saying, do not, you know, and so I don't think we do that very often in sermons or teachings where we're calling people out by name and saying they live this lifestyle or whatever. And so obviously the big famous pastors, you know, they, we do somewhat if they kind of have a fall, but I don't know. I just don't think it's often a part of what we do. But should we be doing that if we, or at least if pastors are in charge of shepherding the flock and keeping them safe, should they do that? Or does that start to create a weird hierarchy or this fear mentality where then, you know, the pastor's elevated over everyone else because he's basically calling a witch hunt on, on these other pastors, even though it's true. It feels like that, what you just said, but it seems like the New Testament does it over and over. And so it feels like we probably should more. Yeah. And maybe I, I, maybe let's just get into Jude and we can kind of see how he does it to see what's a helpful way to do it. Because I think you're right. You can just conduct witch hunts or think everyone's a heretic. But I do think knowing these letters should help us learn what are the things that crosses somebody into that camp and how do you lead a church and guide a church in knowing what is false teaching and what to be on guard from, by the way, they do it. Totally. Okay, well, just to give a bit of context first, this was written by Judas who is the half-brother of Jesus and also the brother of James. And it's a very similar situation to Second Peter. Lots of warnings against false teachers and basically telling people to be on guard. For the audience, you can tell this audience has an understanding of Jewish traditions and backgrounds, a lot of which are based around the Old Testament. So, because we see a lot of references or allusions to the Old Testament, we can tell that this is either a primarily Jewish audience or that this audience had an understanding of Jewish stories, history, and traditions. And there's also a lot of imagery in this. As you read this, you'll see a lot of imagery, a lot of stark contrasts, and examples of what it looks like for the false teachers and Okay, so Jude, you're saying highlights false teachers or talks about them. What is his ultimate aim in writing this? Is he just highlighting that there are false teachers or what is he wanting the readers of this, which he calls the called and beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. So those who are called into this relationship with God, kept by Jesus for Christians, essentially, what are we supposed to do with this highlighting of false teachers? Yeah, So, okay, the overall aim or purpose of the book is found in verses three and four. So he basically says, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So basically he's writing to them to appeal to them. Hey, stand firm in the faith, contend for it, or basically defend it and be on guard against false teachers. And in verse four, it says, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation and are basically perverting the grace of God into sensuality. So what he's saying there is that certain people, he's saying were designed to stir up this dissension and problems. And they're also saying, I am fully saved by the grace of Jesus, so I can do whatever I want. I can sin however I want. But these are people that say that they are 
Christian teachers. Yeah. So like sadly, it would be wolves in sheep's clothing. Which is just interesting, again, because this isn't, you know, the quote unquote world out there, people saying that Jesus isn't real or that you shouldn't follow him. This is people within the Christian world and within, you know, churches. And it's interesting that he says at the end of verse four, that when they pervert the grace of God into sensuality, they deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So by their teaching and lifestyle, he's saying they're actually denying that Jesus is Lord over us, which again, I think is just helpful for us to know that that's what false teachers are doing. When they're teaching what seems right in their own eyes, or they teach what they what parts they want to highlight or they live in such a way that doesn't align with what they're teaching it's not just a little problem jude is saying they actually deny that jesus christ is our lord Mm -hmm. and master uh, which is obviously a huge deal um and so it's just interesting that he notes that i guess for these false teachers which again goes into what you said earlier of yes When we talk about false teachers, a lot of times we just think, oh, it's the language that they're using. But no, lifestyle matters a ton as well. The hard part is for false teachers, at least I'm thinking today, sometimes we can hear them say the right things, but we don't know their lifestyle behind closed doors. And so what's interesting here is, yeah, they're perverting the truth of the gospel, but it feels like it is pretty blatant if they are giving in to sensual desires and living in a way that they say, oh, we're free and it doesn't matter how we're acting because we're saved. You probably would see that play out, I think at least. From people like famous type teachers, you're saying? False teachers here. I feel like it's more... Or more like localized, like if your pastor was a false teacher. Yeah, I feel like it's... Well, so I feel like here... It's more public, it seems like, but I feel like in today's society, if it's your pastor, it feels like it's not as public. Like, I don't think I would know if a pastor was saying the right things, but then living a different lifestyle behind closed doors. Right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Which is probably the danger of having such a large influence for so many people that are so distant to who you are and trusting people like that. You know, so for us, if we're reading the books and listening to the sermons or podcasts of teachers that we love, there is a danger to that of you don't really know them at all. And which I think was somewhat, I I don't know this for sure, but I think there were people that were going around to different churches that were kind of itinerant preachers in the like early church. But that's part of this is, you know, when Paul's talking in Galatians that he left and there were some people that came into Galatia and were preaching this false gospel. And so he has to rebuke it. But now it's not even people like actually coming to your church and doing a week long seminar on teaching from the Bible. It's anything you can get your hands on, on the internet or on podcasts or books or whatever. And so there is a natural danger to, you don't really know that person. And it does seem like the lifestyle and character of a teacher. I don't know. It feels like it's almost what matters most to these New Testament mm-hmm. authors, right? Like yeah. it's at least as much as they're teaching, if not, I mean, Jude, that's most of what he says, right? Is It's actually their lifestyle that's mm-hmm. proving them a false teacher, not even so much exactly the things that they are teaching. Right. So then how do we today, if we get to have our hands on a lot of podcasts or sermons or online churches, essentially... How do we know if what we're intaking is true and not actually false? 
Or how do we know that that pastor or preacher is not a false teacher if we don't actually get to see the lifestyle? Well, I, I have heard people say that we should primarily listen to and read people that are dead because you know that they've made it, oh <laughs> you know, word. like just in the honest, like, you know, cause sometimes it's hard to know with this famous pastor in their forties, like you have no idea what's going on now, what's going to happen over the next 30 years or whatever. So that's something that is just an interesting thought. I do think it's not bad, obviously to listen to teachers. We've talked about this before. I think reading books, listening to podcasts, that stuff can be really helpful. I think maybe it's more so just an awareness of, I think we can sometimes fall into the trap of valuing these people because they are. The reason that they're authors of many books is because they have a great way with words. The reason that they're famous preachers is because their gift of preaching and their charisma and their speaking ability and wordsmithing and all that stuff is just way better than probably anybody's local church pastor. So we we gravitate to, towards those things. But that's not all that a pastor is. And so I do think emphasizing, again, your local church, your small group leader, your Bible study teacher, your pastor is really important because you actually know that person. You can trust that person. You can walk with that person. You see more of that person's life. They may not be as gifted of a leader or a preacher or a teacher, um, but I do think that's that is important to really lean into people that are in your life. I don't think it's bad to go outside and read books and listen to podcasts, but maybe just be aware that that is a reality, that you don't know that person, you don't know their lifestyle. And obviously we see that more and more now as the influence of these people have grown. We also see time after time, unfortunately, that the falls happen a lot because I think being a celebrity and having a lot of worldly influence and power is really hard for a man or woman to handle. And I don't think it's a coincidence that we see that a lot. Totally. Were you ever impacted by having a leader fall? Positively or negatively? How could you be positively impacted by a leader falling? Um, I think a positive impact that has happened from that as a Christian leader is a greater awareness of Mm -hmm. the dangers or the things that led up to some of those falls. Because we said before, the none of the major falls happen in a moment. They happen after years of pride growing, years of secrets being kept, years of anger, years of insecurity, years of whatever. And you grow, grow, grow. The little sins become bigger sins that become massive things that cause that. And so it has been helpful in that way, mm. which again is an odd way that God brings beauty out of just corruption and disgusting situations and tragedies. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah, I have been affected negatively in that a couple people, you know, in our city that I've known some pastors or Christian leaders uh, that have had failures. It, it's hard. It's hard, you know, nationally or whatever, but it's really hard when it's your city, people that you know that were in their ministries, stuff like that is pretty heartbreaking when you see people's faith actually, affected pretty bad mm-hmm. i think when i became a christian there was some christian leaders like the mark driscoll's um, and different people like that that i listened to a lot that it is a bit disorienting when you see them fall um but i don't know i guess i don't totally know what the entire negative impact has been from seeing some of those things whether it's more local or more national level besides 
it's just really heartbreaking. And I do think there's been some positive of reflection and inward looking after some of that. Yeah. I think it's good that you are able to see the positive and that God used it in your own life to probably instill the fear of the Lord in that to go, okay, I don't want to allow anything to fester in the dark or I don't want to be secretive or fall away. I actually want to cling to the Lord. So how can I start doing that now? Okay. So here's another thing that I think is interesting that Jude does. So he refers back to either the Old Testament or even some like just Jewish writings that aren't even scripture, but he's referring to these old stories, right? Like what are a couple of the stories that he actually refers to about either false teachers or like God's judgment on some of this? Yeah. So in verse five, he talks about saving people from Egypt, which is an allusion or a reference to Exodus 12 and Numbers 14. In verse 7, he talks about Sodom and Gomorrah, which is a reference to Genesis. And in Jude, verse 11, he talks about Cain and Balaam, which is Genesis 4 and also Numbers 22 and Numbers 16. And all of those are either evils that have been done or or what's his point in referring back to some of those? Yeah, every time he mentions those, he's mentioning God's judgment. So when he's talking about saving the people from Egypt, but they actually didn't believe. And so then he had to destroy those people or Sodom and Gomorrah was so wicked that God had to wipe out the entire city. And with Cain and Balaam, again, just talking about God's judgment on them and God's judgment on the people who are wicked. So I think what's interesting about that is sometimes we can see things in our day and feel like this is brand new or feel like this is as worse as it's ever been. What's helpful about Jude in general is to realize, oh, he's talking about something 2,000 years ago. This is the same problem we deal with today. And he's saying this has actually been going on you know, since the beginning of time. Like there's been angels that have fallen. There's the situation in Egypt. There's Sodom and Gomorrah. There's Korah's uh, rebut like people within the people of God or around the people of God have fallen. They have had like sin and perversion and wickedness and evil and all of this stuff. And God has always worked in that. He's always judged that. Like there is a righteous God who will bring judgment against evil, which is part of his point that that stuff is going to happen. And that was happening, you know, way back in this time in the Old Testament. That's what Jude is saying, and that's going to happen for these false teachers again because it's still happening now. And now we're 2,000 years later from Jude, and when we see these things, I think it's helpful. I don't know if this feels helpful at all, but to me, it's like, okay, this isn't new. Like you see a false teacher, you see famous Christian leaders fall. As sad as that is every time, one, it's not brand new. This is a pattern that we do have to be on guard for because it's not a new problem and it's not going to go away because we have thousands of years of history that that is what happens. But two, I think the comfort in that is that God does hate the wickedness and evil of these leaders of the city of the angels that felt like he does not put up with that. And so I think for people that have been more, even than me, like more personally affected by a leader that has fallen or abused power or abused people or whatever, and you've been in those ministries, you've experienced that, um, it is very clear that God hates that. He doesn't condone those leaders and he doesn't overlook those leaders. Jude is wanting you to know that every time God is bringing judgment to those things. Um, and in a couple of the stories, he does say 
some are saved, like some are saved out of that. Um, but if they are not saved by the grace and power of Jesus, you will be judged for the wickedness that you have. And so it helps me to know that is the character of God. Yes, it can feel sometimes like, why is God allowing a false teacher to live wickedly and teach wrongly and lead people astray? And for some reason, God does allow that at points throughout all of human history, but he is faithful to judge that and bring um, bring his wrath against the wickedness of sin. That's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then he ends the book of Jude with this idea of calling us to persevere, to know that there's judgment. However, we are made new in Christ and we are called to persevere. But then also he mentions at the end, to him who is able to keep you from falling. So he's also talking about how Christ is the one that keeps you from falling. So there's this interesting tension between the two of we are called to persevere, but we're also made new in Christ. And so he's the one keeping us as well. Okay, so help me. How how does that make sense? How can you have both? That God keeps me, but I have to keep myself. Because it says, keep yourself in the love of God. But then a few verses later, he is the one who is able to keep you from stumbling. So how would you explain that? How does that make sense to have both of those realities at the same time? God can't be fully known. That's what I would say. No, I'm just Yo, kidding. Would you say those things and then smile <laughs> afterwards? You just... I know. No, I think that, I don't know. I mean, I also kind of grew up with this view that there are things about God that might not make sense to us, but if he's over all time and space and he can do all of these things, well then, yeah, it can exist in a world where we are called to persevere and hold tightly to him, but he is also the one that keeps us. So I personally don't know how to make that make sense perfectly. I just know that if we are new in Christ, we are his new creation, but we also have a responsibility to hold tightly to him and to continue to walk in the faith. Why does that matter? Why does us having that responsibility to hold tight to the faith really matter? If God can keep us, what is the point of us holding tight? It kind of brings to mind the idea that kind of what it's saying in Jude, where it's talking about people who are abusing the grace that they've received from Christ And that verse in Romans 6 that basically says, are we to continue in sin so that grace abounds? No, it's like we're not supposed to continue to abuse the grace, but actually live as new creations. And so in my mind, somehow that ties together. That's not a perfect thought, but it's like, okay, say I have this covenant with my husband, but then I'm going to go off and not spend time with him, sleep around, be with other people. Well, Like that just doesn't make sense. And for some reason, yeah, I'm still married to him. And I don't think that we can lose our salvation. But at the same time, I still feel like we have a calling and a responsibility to cling tightly to Christ as we are already kept in him. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, I think so. And I think this is probably just a good practice for people. So if you're listening to this and that is something that you wrestle with, I would say read through those verses and just kind of meditate on why are those two things both important in this? Why is it important to trust and know that God is the one who is able to keep us from stumbling and able to present us blameless into the presence of his glory with grace and joy? Why is that important to know that God is able to do that for us? 
And why is it important that as Christians, as Jude says, we have to keep ourselves in the love of God, which is also what Jesus taught in John 15. He's teaching us to abide in him, that if we want to bear fruit in the Christian life, our command is to abide in him, to abide in his love, he says, which is similar to what Jude says here, to actually let that then allow us to follow his commands. All that stuff is fruit from our choosing to abide in him and actively doing that. But we're doing that because God is keeping us and he's holding us. But that's a way that he keeps us, is us actually abiding in him. So he's giving us essentially what we can do to fulfill what his job is, I think, which is to actually keep us. And so I think it it does seem right off the bat, almost like paradoxical or like they can't quite fit. We're supposed to keep ourselves, but he's the one who's keeping us. It doesn't quite seem like it fits, but I think it's a good practice for people as you read through this, just think through that of how those two things can work together. I think obviously they do. Uh, Some of it probably is uh, confusing for our minds to fully grasp how that stuff works. But I feel like there's stuff there, and this is just a good practice anytime we read the Bible. When you read something that feels kind of confusing, sit there, read through it a few times, meditate on, okay, why is this connected? And then kind of what I just said, try to go to other places in the Bible. And it's like, okay, is this communicated anywhere else? Like we've talked about this in the podcast on Hebrews. It talks about this. John 15, Jesus talks about this some. And then try to put some of those passages together and see how you can make sense of the idea then. Okay, and as one last thing, this keeps coming to mind. In Jude, he talks about contending for the faith, which basically just means standing firm in the faith and being grounded in the gospel. And I think that's also something important, that if you are in a situation where you feel like there's a false gospel being proclaimed or you feel like someone you know is living this double life, praying about it to make sure that you're not picking out the speck in their eye and the and ignoring the plank in your own, but also standing firm by the gospel and doing what it says in Jude, contending to the faith and actually speaking to that person, correcting that person so that others won't be led astray is also important. Thank you for joining us today. The goal of the Christian Formation Podcast is to live all of life with the presence of God. And we do this through conversations about theology, culture, and stories. Please like this, rate it, review it, share it so that it can get out to more people. If you have any questions, email us at formation at providenceomaha.org. We'll see you next week.